Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. Viewpoint today from a brand new Dwight Dye studio in our new location here in central Indiana. And to kick things off in this new space, which we are just now opening, we're so thrilled to have with us a friend and also an outstanding voice for truth. His name is Stephen Arterburn. Thanks for being with us, Steve. Oh, glad to be here. Thank you, Jim. And I'm happy to be your first guinea pig in the new studio. It's I'm beautiful telling here. you, we couldn't think of anybody that we'd <laughs> rather have here test out the mic than Stephen Arterburn. Now, for those of you who don't know, Stephen is a prolific author. He has sold millions of books. His name is on some titles that have been bestsellers. And he's authored a new book together with a man named David Stoops called Take Back Your Life. We're going to talk about that in a moment. He also is on air with one of the nation's most successful call-in shows. It's a Christian call-in show called New Life Live. And he has his hands on so many other great frontline ministries. We are thrilled, Steve, that you're giving us time Thank today. You. Thanks for having me here. And we hope you'll stay with us because when we come back, we're going to start talking to you about how you can take your life back. Stay tuned. Stephen Arterburn is our guest on uh, Viewpoint today, and Stephen, you have written many books. Mm-hmm. And uh, Steve, I know that I actually first saw your name on the cover of Every Man's Battle, which has had right. a huge impact, sold millions of copies. Every book has a story, a backstory. Yeah. In Every Man's Battle, you disclose some of your own journey, which I think provoked the writing of the book. Right. Similarly, what's the story behind this new book, Take Back Your Life? Where did that come from? What's the genesis of this new work? Well, you know, Dave Stoop and I are the editors of the Life Recovery Bible, and uh, we were going to celebrate the 2.5 millionth copy of that Bible next year in 2017, which is the 25th anniversary. But we've already sold the 2.5 millionth <laughs> copy. It, it is such a successful Bible that is for anybody with a problem who wants to work the 12 steps, correlate that with scripture. And we were uh, talking about our own lives and how both of us have had our own problems. We both felt like we were strangers in our own home and how easy it was for us to kind of think of ourselves better than others in the beginning, which Dave might have been better than others. (laughs) I certainly wasn't. And so we started with the concept of what if we start talking about my side of the street, people just staying on their side of the street, working on their problems in their own backyard or their front yard, and not always being focused, thinking that, well, maybe if that other person got better, I could get better, or thinking maybe God will make me instantly better, or praying, God, make them better so my life can be okay. And that was the genesis of this, really, from our own experience of kind of pointing the fingers at other people, kind of an attitude of arrogance, which, of course, you know, God isn't too happy about. Well, and of course, that kind of approach to life always holds you hostage to someone else's choices Yeah. instead of taking control of your own life well, and it, making decisions yeah. that will propel you forward. And in the book, we talk about that results in the reactive life. If you're sitting around and all you do is react to another person uh, because they kind of own you, or you're reacting to a person in your past that isn't even around anymore, well, you can't respond to what God wants for you and live a responsive life and a fulfilling life if you're just going through life reacting. And so that's all part of this formula of taking your life back, that every person is entitled to be their own decider, 
the defender of their value, and then the developer of good things in your life rather than waiting for God or somebody else to do that. And taking your life back is then the name, the title mm -hmm. of this book, which is just hot off the press. And uh, this Thanksgiving week, when you talk about being a stranger in your own family, uh, there will be people mm -hmm. coming to the table for turkey dinner yeah. that may be present but feeling a little bit set apart. Yeah. Or maybe you're the host of the dinner and you're feeling like you're the stranger with all these people at your table and you're not sure how... To actually to relate to them or you have some issues with them that are not spoken. I mean, there's so many dynamics yeah. of the holidays where this is so especially relevant. But no matter what time of year it is, all of us have a tendency to lose control of our lives. How do we take our lives back? That's this book. Yeah. And let me just say this, you know, if you're like me, you kind of think, oh, well, you know, I'm different than them. And you think I've got it together. They don't. But in actuality, all you're doing is using whatever excuse to avoid relationship and to withdraw from relationship, and your problem might even be bigger than their problem. But I think we've got a path and a process here that could help you take your life back. And of course, the first thing is you have to identify where it is you're hurting and what hurt you. It's essentially naming the wound. And uh, when Ken Taylor did the uh, paraphrase and created the Living Bible, when he came to Jeremiah 6.14, he paraphrased it this way. He said, you can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. And the reverse of that is so true. The way you heal something is you say it is there. And no, we don't want to go back and live in our wounds and live in our past. But if we don't resolve certain things, we drag them around with us. We react to them. And so the first thing is to name what it is that's troubling us. Then the second thing is to develop a desire to want to change it. But desire and awareness without willingness gets you nowhere. And so we try to help a person develop the willingness to do whatever it takes to take their lives back so that they can, you know, make God the director of their lives, not some force like shame or a person. And of course, if we're looking at other people and waiting for them to change, then they have control of our lives. Oh, absolutely. And, and the whole biblical foundation of this book starts with a famous story that Jesus mm, told in yeah. chapter 15. So let me just share this story, which has been popularly dubbed the parable of the prodigal son. But in your book, you properly point out that's not a name Jesus gave the story. It could be the parable of the elder brother or the right. story of father's mercy. Or I mean, there are all kinds of ways to yeah. label this very famous story. This is Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land and there he wasted all his money in wild living. You know, this is the New Living Translation, and that is so vivid. My mind runs wild mm -hmm, yeah. thinking about that wild living. Verse 14, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything to eat. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as your hired servant. 
So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. His father ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. This is so much of the story we take for granted or have seen as familiar, but there's more. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and would not go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and now has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Slow to anger, abounding in love, good to all. All who call upon you, you will rescue and forgive. This is why I live. Life I could never live. You died the death that I fully deserve. You rose to life, and now I live, I live, I live, I live. You live the life I could never live. You died the death that I deserve. You rose to life, and now you live. That's how you forgive. You live the life I could never live. You died the death that I deserve. You rose to
as you're listening to our program today, you may have a thought, a question, a comment, and we want you to know we're always glad to hear from you. Just dial this number, toll-free, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. I'll give you this number again at the end of the broadcast today, but for now, just know we're always glad to hear from you. Our guest today is Stephen Arterburn. He's written a new book together with David Stoop called Take Your Life Back, and using the parable of the prodigal son gives us great insight about how we can all move our lives forward. What does the story tell you, Steve, about taking control of your life back? Well, you know, I think, as you mentioned, it's a wonderful story of the Father's grace, and, and, uh, but that's not unusual. The whole Bible is about God's grace, and it's a story about a, a boy. He doesn't really have great motives. He just wants better food. That's the, that's the thing. But God works with anything, you know, and, uh, and that's what takes him back to his father and the tremendous grace that's offered there. But that, that's really not that unusual to see a story of, of a wayward child, or as we say now, the prodigal son coming back and, and receiving grace. But what is really unique is here is a rule follower, this elder brother, which we all, if, if we're uh, focused on religion, we become rule followers just like him. And because he followed the rules, he had this arrogant entitlement. I, you should be celebrating me, not the fact that someone that was lost, my brother, is found. And I believe that it is so easy for the prodigal son to hit bottom and transform his life or take back his life. Very difficult for elder brothers to see that they have anything wrong. The rule keepers. Yeah. It's hard for them to to develop that humble place where uh, they're looking at themselves, seeing that their attitude has really been rotting in their soul over their good deeds, good following of the rules. And so what we have challenged people to do is to, hey, stop looking at all of those people that are acting out and ask yourself this, are you acting in? Are you just as rebellious as the acting outers are, but you're smarter? You don't let people see all of this venom and this vile stuff that's inside of you. And, and you're, yeah, you may be smarter, but you're no better if you're standing on these arrogant attitudes that are judgmental and arrogant. And by keeping all the rules and living in the way you've just described... You may imagine yourself to be free, but actually you're enslaved also oh, because yeah. his whole worldview is being framed by his brother's failures. And sitting around looking at, hey, what have you done for me lately versus rejoicing in a, a brother who's been brought back? And that's the perfect example of uh, he's reacting to hurt and he is not responding in love, God's love the way God wants us to. And I'm just hoping somebody listening is thinking, whoa, wow, that is me. I've been an elder brother. The reactive life is a phrase that the book Mm -hmm. uh, introduces. We're going to take a break, Steve, but when we come back, tell me about Rembrandt's famous painting Mm. of the prodigal because the characters are there brought into really stark relief. And we might be surprised with whom we best identify. Amazing grace How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. 
but now I see Twas grace that taught my heart to fear And grace my fears Rembrandt, of course, one of the great painters of an age in art that we sometimes long for today. And he has a famous painting of Jesus' story of the prodigal son, Luke chapter mm-hmm. 15. Steve, as you have looked at that painting, tell us about how it speaks to you truth out of this story. Well, I've always been fascinated with the painting. And of course, the thing that um, I focus on, and a lot of people do, is that when Rembrandt, in his genius, painted it, Uh, The hands of the father are on the back of the young boy who's come home. And one hand was painted with the use of a female hand model of the day and another with a male hand model. So Mm. when you look, they don't match. And it's representing the power of God and the grace of God. But when you uh, actually measure out the amount of space taken up in his painting, the elder brother has a more prominent place than both the father and the son combined. And you have to ask, well, why would that be? I mean, certainly the, the uh, elder brother has a place in the story, but he's about one-third of the story. Well, I, st- I had to find out what was behind all this. I discovered that this is actually the second prodigal son painting that Rembrandt ever painted. The first one, 
He is the prodigal son. It's a self-portrait. He's sipping champagne. There's a peacock in the background, which was a representation of affluence. And uh, as the brother said, hey, my brother's been out there with prostitutes. He, it's a picture of the prodigal son himself with a prostitute. But the prostitute is his wife. Her face mm. sitting in his lap is the face of the harlot. Now, that was when he was at the height of his career. Rembrandt. He was quite uh, successful, had his own art gallery, his private collection. His wife died, and he began to lose almost everything. And he became involved with someone he wasn't married to, had a child, and the Catholic Church kicked him out. Well, this painting was on his easel in his studio when he died. This painting is a painting that requests the Catholic Church to see themselves in it and allow him back into the church. They would not let this man that had provided so much art for the church, they wouldn't let him back in. And he was saying to them, don't be this elder brother, church. Look at this young man. Look at the hands. God isn't just all about judgment and rules. He's about grace, too. Well, the church never responded and never let him back in, and he died a very, very sad, rejected man. But the painting, that second painting, is the masterwork yes, it that is. we recognize first. Oh, and the, and, the, and the, the lurking older brother, the man in yes, the shadows, right. representing all of that kind of uh, self-absorption and judgment and, and kind of lurking uh, over the whole scene. Well, I just have to throw this in. Henry Nouwen wrote a book on this, and I had the great pleasure to be in Toronto, Canada, to hear Henry speak on this before he died, and it was just an amazing experience. And he took the trouble to go down to the print shop, and he printed out a, a copy of that painting and gave it to everybody wow. that was there. And I'll never, ever forget that experience. But the message to all of us is that no matter whether you're the acting out son or the acting in elder brother, there's a God of grace and mercy that wants to take you back. And, and isn't just waiting. You know, that's what the Jewish patriarchs did. They sat and kept their legs folded and waited. This father ran to this boy, and, and that just wasn't something that was done. And I believe that was God's communication to us. I am running after you. I'm trying to find you where you are. I want to welcome you back. Don't wait. And both the sons, the shadowy, rule-keeping older brother and the boy without discipline who yeah. squanders so much, both of them will only find life when they come back to the father and deal with him. Yes. And his character is not changed by their conduct. Right. His nature of grace and love, mercy is, is not informed by what they've done. It's informed by his own sense of self. And I think what I'm reading in your book, and I hear you talking about now even, Steve, is that we all have to strive for that same place by returning to our Father and finding ourselves set free of our judgment of others and our own personal shame. If today someone's listening and they think, I'm that rule keeper, hmm. what would be your first step of advice for them? What should they do? Well, you know, Probably the most powerful verse on healing is James 5.16, where it says to confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be healed. So I think the first thing is to admit it to somebody. Find a safe person and say, hey, I need to say this out loud to you. And, and that starts to take the power off of it right there. And it kind of levels the playing field, brings you back down to a place of humility. And then 
you know, get into a men's Bible study or a woman's Bible study, whatever you, you need to do to build connection because elder brothers tend to withdraw, disconnect, and avoid. So find where connection, healthy connection, get into a life recovery group or something like that where you can become more and more open and authentic and risk being known. And you just might find that blessed life, the abundant life that you've been wondering, where is all that? Here I am doing all this good stuff. Where is this wonderful life of purpose and meaning I've been hearing about? I've followed the rules and I've missed it. Hey, it's there for you. The first step toward it is humility. And so whether you're the prodigal son or the elder brother in the story, it all begins with taking stock of who you are and yes. where you are. And is this life that you've been pursuing really worth all that? Mm. Because neither of the boys are happy and they're only going to find wholeness, life in their father's company in his grace and mercy. Steve, I'm so excited about all that's mm -hmm. going to be drawn out of this story in this book, Take Your Life Back. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Jim. And if you're listening today and you want to know more about how you can take your life back, maybe you'd like a copy of this great new book just hot off the press. Maybe this Thanksgiving you're wondering how you're going to relate to your siblings and your father or your mother or all of them at the table. Wherever you are in life today, there's something in this teaching in the scripture and this book that has been birthed from it, there's something for you. Give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. We're by the phone. We want to hear from you. You might instead choose to just check us out online. Go to our website, cbh, that's Christians Broadcasting Hope, viewpoint.org. You can read about the ministry there. You can send us an email. We will reply. Or at the last, just send me a letter using the post office. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us up, whether you go online or use the post, let us hear from you this week. Oh, and wait, before you leave, let's pray. Our Father, we're so thankful today for the way in which truth is always relevant in the Scripture and for the power of Jesus his word still to speak in the here and now. We thank you for the story of this prodigal son and his elder brother. We're thankful for the story of the father's love. And we pray that that truth in the story, the reality of it, and how it empowers us to take our lives back and how it sets us free might be experienced by all who join me in this prayer. Speak to us and move us closer into your will and way that we might have life abundantly. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen. Stephen Arterburn, always a treat to be in your company. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate you. And thank you for tuning in. We hope you'll be with us again next week when we continue in this new series, Drawn from the Well of Knowledge in Take Your Life Back, this book by Stephen Arterburn and David Stoop. For all of us at the Viewpoint team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.